Everyone good this morning? Ah, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> um, yeah, good morning. So, thank you, Lou. I'd like to start with an uncomfortable confession. Okay, I'd like to start with an uncomfortable confession. Uh, about four or five years ago, I was uh, already working at the company that I work at now, and we didn't have a very good system in place for um, booking our annual leave. I think we just sort of um, emailed our boss and it was, it was sort of handled like that. I can't quite remember. It feels a bit sort of unorganised. But um, we also had to, for Christmas, we had to take a certain amount of annual leave time off. So it's about three days that we had to make sure that we had enough annual leave to cover. And about four or five years ago, I realised I didn't have the three days or whatever it was to cover the Christmas period. And I'm ashamed to say, rather than sort of being honest about it, I decided to keep it quiet. And to my great shame, I was in a meeting and we were talking about the work that was left to do before the end of the year and one of my colleagues noticed and pointed it out. I was mortified. You know, my colleagues knew I was a Christian And, you know, I was supposed to be sort of upright, and yet I hadn't been honest, and I hadn't said that I didn't have that time. The worst thing is, guys, that's just one example. I'm, you know, if I'm being honest, there are many times in my life when I mess up and I do the wrong thing. Thankfully, a lot of you guys and my colleagues don't get to see those things. And I think if you're honest this morning, there are probably quite a lot of those things that you do as well. Times when you know, and yet you don't do what's right. Things that keep you up awake at night, don't you? You kind of play through that incident again, why did I say that? Or why didn't I do it like this instead? You know, there are things that kind of, we have regrets essentially, don't we? There are things that we wish we'd done differently. And it's, it's funny because we even then start um, kind of justifying ourselves, don't we? To ourselves. Think about it. Justifying ourselves to ourselves. Oh, I was tired, or I'd had a hard week, or... Strange concept, isn't it? We're kind of trying to justify ourselves to ourselves. Because essentially, we all want to believe that we're good. We all want to believe that actually, under normal circumstances, we're a good person, aren't we? So this morning, let's take a look at what Jesus has to say about the things that we regret, about the times that we mess up. So, we're going to, if you've been coming the last couple of weeks, you know that we are in the book of Mark. Mark is one of the Gospels, so that means it's um, all about Jesus. It's sort of looking through his life. Uh, Mark is an exciting book because, yeah, he's, he's fast-paced. He does include some details, but only the details he wants. You know, if, it, if it's relevant, he includes it. If it's not, chopped. So it's a really fast-paced story, and, and, you know, we're rattling through it at the moment, and we will be this morning. So, we are on page... 1003, if you've got one of our cool blue Bibles, it's Mark 2, and we'll start from verse 1. Okay. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So picture the scene, it's a crowded place. I think Andrew used you know, kind of, uh, an NHS waiting room illustration last week. You know, it's packed, they're all there, they're all listening to Jesus. And everyone wants to see this man, Jesus, who's come home. 
Now some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowds, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, You are healed. Now go and walk. Oh, okay, maybe not. Um, No, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's a bit of a strange thing to say, isn't it? But Jesus, you see, he knew what the man's greatest problem was. Of course he was paralyzed, but his greatest need was to be forgiven from sins, to be forgiven from the times he'd messed up. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law, now these are sort of you know, highly religious people, uh, very pernickety, very keen on upholding the traditions, um, yeah, the traditions and the law. So these teachers of the law, they were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right, now this morning, I would like to give... Who would like Sandra? I would like to give you this PhD. Um, Now, normally when you give someone a PhD, people clap. Now, I notice you didn't. Um, And quite right, too, because you're all sitting there thinking, he can't give out PhDs, right? Now, if I told you that actually I'm the vice-chancellor of the University of Southampton, now, suddenly, you'd be clapping, and you'd be very happy for Sandra, because she's now got a PhD, right? <laughs> but, as you probably guessed it, I'm not, and that's a blank piece of paper. Sorry about that, Sandra. Um, yeah, so, so the person that you are, you know, means that I can't give out PhDs. They're worthless. So when we think about Jesus, he's saying this man's sins are forgiven. Okay, that's crazy, Unless, crazy unless he is God, in which case, okay, that makes sense. Okay, crazy unless he is God. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking. Okay, they haven't even said it. He's just, he knows what they're thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Imagine the guys that are thinking that. They're like, oh, come on. Like, we haven't even asked the question. Now, how is he answering? Right, okay, fair enough. Verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, this is a, a sort of cryptic name that Jesus uses for himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so the man, he got up, he took his mat, and he walked in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Can you imagine for a minute? Okay, there's there's a man, he can't walk, and the next thing, off he goes. He's walking with his mat. I think I'd be I, 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 to be honest, I don't really know what I'd say. I'd probably turn to the person next to me and go, okay, are we sure this guy couldn't walk? I think I'd be hysterical. I'd, I'd, all right, okay, fair enough. What's going on here? Verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, 
a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, a bit of context. It's important for us to remember at this point that tax collectors are just really not well regarded in this culture. These are kind of, you know, well, for a start, they collaborated with the Romans who were, you know, um, who were in power at the time. So these people are considered unclean. So these are like the, you know, you do not want to be associated with these people. And on top of that, they, they took more money than they were supposed to. So they're very dodgy people. Um, so what does Jesus say to him? Follow me. Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And worse still, 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners, the word sinners here is sort of similar to our word for outcast, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax selectors and sinners? It's actually quite a natural question, really. What is this guy doing? Why is he eating with these people? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call to I have sorry, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is great news, isn't it, for us? Because if we think back to our question at the beginning. Jesus is having dinner with people who've messed up. In fact, actually, Jesus didn't seem that interested in the people who seem quite upright, who seem, you know, as if they're following the laws, as if they've got it all sorted. He doesn't really, well, you know, he might be eating with them on other occasions, but he doesn't, he seems to be wanting to spend this time with the tax collectors and the outcasts. This is really great for us if we, you know, when we realize that we've messed up, that's really good that we, we realize that he eats with those people. In fact, actually, it's a danger when we start to feel as if we're doing okay. As if we start to, you know, when we start to forget that we need forgiving, that's a danger because then we stop realizing how much we need Jesus' forgiveness. And as we read the Bible, we're conscious as we read the Bible of our need for God how imperfect we actually are. You know, not to beat ourselves up and to feel guilty, but for us to realize, wow, I need Jesus. I need that forgiveness. I'm not perfect. You know, actually, the Bible tells us we've all messed up. But sometimes we have a tendency, when we're feeling all right, to forget that a bit. We need to recognize our need. We need that humility. We need that humility as we approach God to realize, yeah, we need... Um, Jesus' forgiveness to approach God. Think about it for a minute. If you think of the tax collectors, think about how they would approach God. They know they're messing up. They know they're not doing things right. Can you imagine? They'd kind of come to God going, I'm really sorry, I'm not worthy. Think now of the um, religious leaders, how they would approach God. I am keeping this law. I'm keeping this law. I'm keeping this law. It's not the same, is it? They would definitely approach God in a different approach. And I think that's healthy for us to think. As we approach God in prayer, let's remember that we need his forgiveness. You know, confidence is good, but it's got to be confidence in Jesus. We can confidently come to God 
but confident in Jesus, not confident in what we've done in order to be able to approach Jesus. Now you might be saying, great, thanks Sim, this has been really good so far, but you know, I've been a Christian for 30 years, so come on, can we move on to the next bit yet? And, um, and the point is this, you know, we all need this. You could say, well, this is level one Christianity. Yes, but this is level two, three, and four, and five, and six, and seven as well. We all need this, don't we? We don't move on from needing that forgiveness. You know, and when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, one of the things in there is, it is, isn't it? Forgive us our sins. He's teaching his disciples to pray. Why not this week? Try and, if, if, if it's helpful, why not this week? As you start your time of prayer, and um, start with, you know, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for the things I've done wrong. And secondly, thank you for forgiving me. If that helps us kind of get that, get that mindset of, wow, you know, I'm approaching God and I've messed up, but he's forgiven me. If that's helpful, why not try it this week? So as we're thinking about that question that we asked at the start, you know, what does Jesus have to say about our regrets and the things that we've messed up? Well, first of all, we saw that Jesus had dinner with these people, with people that messed up. And secondly, we've seen that he can forgive Isn't that, that's great. So, have you noticed, you might start to notice a bit of a pattern to some of these um, incidents that we're reading here. Um, In each of these stories, Jesus starts by doing something quite radical, quite controversial, quite unexpected. And then the next thing is the teachers of the law, they're kind of a bit upset about it, a bit kind of unnerved. And they either, so they then challenge Jesus, either by saying something, or as we saw in the previous incident, they didn't say it, they just thought it, and they're kind of you know, probing what's Jesus doing. And then the next thing, Jesus kind of replies with a, a shutdown kind of incredible debate-stopping argument that kind of, um, well, yeah, just they can't really reply to. So there's a bit of a pattern, and we'll notice a bit more as we, as we keep going through the next ones. So verse 18 Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Again, yep, come to expect it. Here comes the rebuke. You know, Jesus' disciples would be expected to fast. John's disciples fasted. Um, The religious leaders fasted. It was kind of, you know, why don't, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? And so Jesus said, oh, Yes, sorry, no problem, I forgot to mention that to them. Let me go and remind them. Well, again, no, Jesus, verse 19. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Is Jesus doing it on purpose now, like seriously? I mean, I guess you could start, you could forgive the teachers of the law for beginning to feel a bit irritated, yeah? Every time they have an expectation of him or a desire of him, it doesn't connect. Why can't, you know, why can't he just, you know? Do we have that issue sometimes? You know, do, we, do we sometimes feel, couldn't God just do things my way for once? Or, or failing that, okay, why doesn't Jesus do things at least the way I expect him to for once? You see, Jesus is unexpected, but good. C.S. Lewis, um, the author of 
Chronicles of Narnia has a, a really, I think, helpful, for me anyway, way of, of looking, for this, looking at this. And I think Bill's got the clip, if that's possible. Thank you. Don't worry. We'll see him again. When? In time. One day he'll be here, and the next he won't. But you mustn't press him. After all, he's not a tame lion. He is good. Yeah. You need it more than I do. There is actually, um, in the actual book, there is an even, I think, a, an even better quote, but I don't think they're used in the film, or at least I couldn't see it. Um, so the, the, the children are with the beavers. Do you remember the beavers? And um, the, beaver, the beaver says to, to the children, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. I find that quite helpful in a sense because you know, the comparison in this instant uh, to, to a lion, because it's, you, know, you, might, you might feel like you know and you might feel friendly with a lion, but you still respect the lion. You, know, you still, you know, there's that, that kind of awe of the lion, isn't there? And I was thinking about, um, thinking about this about this talk, I was sort of thinking, you know, is it, uh, you know, I've used the word unexpected, and I was thinking, oh, what about the word unpredictable? And I thought, oh, no, that doesn't quite feel right, because the word unpredictable has the kind of sense of, you know, we're not saying at all that God is undependable. You know, God keeps his promises, doesn't he? He's not, oh, one minute I want to do this, and the next minute I, don't, I do this. It, that's, that's not God, but he is unexpected, it's, bit a, it's been a bit of a theme, actually, as we've been going through uh, the series of, of Mark, hasn't it? You know, these are familiar texts that we know, some of us do, but still there are quite a few surprises, aren't there? Things that, ooh, hmm, you know. Lou compared it to a, to a marriage. You know, you might be married for years, and there's still things that you, ooh, you know, didn't know or find out. I guess it's kind of obvious and, and actually quite wonderful, really, when you think about it. We will never be able to fully grasp how incredible God is. I guess we shouldn't expect to. He's incredible, you know. Jesus is beyond, you know, Jesus is more wonderful than we could possibly imagine. Possibly imagine. He's beyond our wildest dreams. You know, the impression, if you think about God and how incredible he is, he's even better than that. God is far greater than our understanding of him. God is God. 
You know, it reminds me of that verse in Ephesians 3, you know, where it says, you know, ask for, um, that he can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. Isn't that exciting, isn't it? Even more than we can imagine. I think there are three things that kind of challenge me out of that. Well, first of all, I f- first of all the first one would be wonder. I want to read my Bible in a way that um, looks out for wonder, looks out for, ooh, what's incredible about Jesus as I read this story? The second one is trust, you know, trust in God wherever God may take you. Yeah, God is unexpected wherever it may take you. And the third one is patience. You know, we do go through hard times, and... And it may not always be obvious what God is doing, but God's way is good. I wonder if we could almost say, you know, with God, expect the unexpected. You know, do you think that Noah, he thought, oh, later on in life, I'm going to build a big boat. (laughs) Or do you think that Jonah, you know, he thought he expected to be eaten and, you know, swallowed by a fish? And we know that Abraham and Sarah, you know, when they were told they were going to have a kid at their old age, they laughed, didn't they? God has a funny way of doing things in ways that we don't expect. Back to the text. Verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst with... uh, Sorry, otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath... Now, the the, the Sabbath was a sort of... Well, it was a special day, you know, the seventh day of the week. It was set aside for, for rest. It was a gift from God. You know, when God created the world, he used the seventh day as... As, um, as a day of rest. So one, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as, he's, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abithar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is unlawful, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath was meant to be this gift from God. You were supposed to be able to enjoy that rest that was provided. And instead it had become, well, Actually, a bit of an extra chore. It was kind of so many regulations about, oh, you have to stop doing that now, and oh, you can start again. That it become, you know, it wasn't really about the rest anymore. Verse twenty-eight: The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Sorry, mate, today is the Sabbath. You know I can't do anything on the Sabbath. No, of course not, sorry. Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, What is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? 
but they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. In the, in the passages we've been looking at today, we've seen quite a variety of responses to Jesus, haven't we? This last one's probably the most extreme. Uh, they began to plot to kill Jesus. Ooh, okay. um, but you may have noticed a bit, a bit before, it said stubborn hearts. There was that kind of stubborn hearts. And it's interesting to, to notice Jesus' um, thoughts about that. Did you see he was angry and distressed at their stubborn hearts? Other responses that we've seen are, you know, well, first of all, Levi. Do you remember he followed him? And he invited him to his home, didn't he? And as we read the Gospels, we we notice that there isn't isn't really a half measure with the people that follow Jesus. They're all in, or they're not at all. You can't revert back to these old wineskins. There's no sort of mix and match there going on. Following Jesus is a new way of life. It's different. If we respond to Jesus, and we decide to follow him then Jesus is to be the center. You know, we don't want... If Jesus is to be the center, then that's not a kind of add-on or a bolt-on. Okay, fine, not a center, not an add-on or a bolt-on. But what does that mean? I mean, that's a nice thing. What does it mean? Well, I think that when you... To make Jesus the center, I think that when you make important decisions in your life... You know, you might think about the priorities, and you might think, well, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about changing job or something, and you would think, well, you know, or changing town, well, okay, well, there's this, there's this, 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 and oh, what does God think about it? You, know, you might kind of go through everything, and then, oh, to, you know, kind of maybe check what God thinks. Or, or if you wanted to make God the center, then actually you'd pray first, and you'd say, okay, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And you would take those other things into consideration, but God would be your priority. But I think, not just for the big things, I think even in the smaller things, how you spend your time. You know, would you sort of say, right, okay, well, I want to do this, this, and this, and this, this, or, and if I've got any time left, maybe I'll go to the prayer meeting. Or would you say, God, what do you want me to do? You know, do we only go to church when there's nothing more interesting going on? Let's, you know... There's, there's no half measure with God. We're all in or we're not in at all. You know, does our, our time with God, does our time reading the Bible, does our time praying get pushed out as soon as there's other things going on? Oh, okay, well, I don't have time for that. What is your response to Jesus? You, you can't sit on the fence with this one. There is no sort of in-between camp. If you decide what he says is true, then actually and you're wondering, well, what do I do about it? You know, this seems to be true. Then the answer is actually quite simple. Look at Levi. He simply started following him, following Jesus. If you're not quite sure yet, and you're busy thinking, you know, this sounds interesting, but I don't know yet, then that's okay. What I suggest you do is um, pick up one of these marks, or if you've got a Bible, read through the book of Mark. Start at the beginning of Mark, go all the way through, See what you think. Who is this Jesus person? Does what he's saying make sense? Is he really God? And decide what you think. If you'd like to talk it through with others, there's actually a, an alpha course starting on Thursday, 
and um, so that's Thursday evening. And there's a chance just to talk these things through. You don't have to have made your mind up. You don't have to think, well, I don't, can't go to that because I'm going to look silly. I don't know what I think. No. Come along. Discuss. You don't need to know what you think yet. Or if you do know what you think, you can still come. It's a place where that's okay. Just come and talk these things through. So there are um, you know, these very clear responses that it talks about. There's a kind of hardening of hearts, and there's that, the response which is all in, isn't there? And I'd like to share a little um, illustration with you. It's not a very profound illustration. I'm not trying to illustrate anything particularly complicated or sophisticated. But I, found, I find sometimes, you know, thinking, seeing something just helps us to remember it. I think we need to be soft, com- you know, soft like soft butter, the, the, um, the Pharisees, you know, they were very hard. This is a frozen butter, and there's no way I am cutting this. Okay? This is a soft one. It's been in the microwave, and it's been on that radiator over there. There you go. It's really soft. Things like that help me to remember. You know, especially as we see Jesus being unexpected, or doing things not the way we want, or not the way we expect, what's our response? Are we open... Are we compliant? Are we soft? Or do we tend to, oh, God, and harden our hearts at that point? We need to be soft like that better for Jesus. Don Carson um, says this, The more we respond to the truth, the more we will be able to grasp it. The less we respond to the truth by ignoring it or closing our eyes, the less we will be able to grasp it. The more we respond, the more we will be able to grasp it. So what would it look like if we were like soft butter? Well, first of all, I think that we would be open to God's plans. We wouldn't hold on stubbornly to our kind of ways and our desires. We would hold lightly to our selfish uh, thoughts and instead you know, be concerned by God's priorities. You know, life wouldn't be easier. We'd still have problems. But I think we'd be able to trust God in them, knowing that he's in control. I think as we read the Bible, we would be seeking and looking for that wonder. Wonder at Jesus, who's far greater than what we can even imagine or hope for. And we would be aware that um, we've messed up, that we're not perfect, and we need Jesus' forgiveness. And I think that as we approach God in prayer then, we would have that kind of humility to realize that we've messed up and we need him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we um, are amazed by you. Even in these um, incidents that we were reading there, we just saw how you know, you're unexpected, but you're good. And, and we, you know, we want to be like that soft butter. We want to um, respond to you. Don't harden our hearts when things don't go the way we planned, but may we be open to you, Jesus. Be open to what you're doing. Thank you for that forgiveness that you give us. You know, we mess up, but you forgive us, Jesus. Thank you so much for that. Amen.